0: You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Good morning. I'd like for all of you to stand, if you will. I know you've been up and down a lot, and uh, this might be an awkward request for some and others. You will embrace it with uh, great exuberance. But uh, it just came to me while... Robin was uh, introducing me in such glowing terms. He read what I wrote so eloquently. Um, Yeah, okay. Um, But I, I have a fondness for a particular verse taken from the Psalms. that says, clap your hands, all ye people, and shout unto God, with the voice of triumph. Clap your hands. All ye people. Shout. Come on. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Yeah. That really, you can be seated. That really should be second nature to us. I, I'm I'm assuming, um, by looking at all of you, that uh, no one pardoned the turkey on Thursday. <laughs> Didn't get a pardon at your house, huh? Now I know that you've been uh, in uh, a month where you've been focusing on gratitude, and understandably so. Um, Not just because of Thanksgiving as much as the times that we're living in. I mean, you look at it in terms of the relevance of our present affairs and circumstances. And I think it's good for us to recalibrate, to refocus on the importance of gratitude. And I'm going to be talking to you for the next few minutes about gratitude. Is it a platitude or an attitude. And when I say that, I know the pairing of the word gratitude with attitude has been overused and almost become a cliche, just another trite or stale comment. You probably heard it just this past week. We need a attitude of gratitude. And and I agree with that, even though it has been trivialized. Uh, in a few minutes, I'm going to be reading to you from Psalm 103 because I believe uh, what we'll be reading in these seven short verses is the essence of what the gratitude of attitude really looks like. Um, There are going to be many layers of meaning in in, in those verses that I um, won't attempt to examine because, uh, you know, every nuance of them, but to at least take a look at the relevance of them uh, in, in a contemporary sense. So, Thanksgiving has come and gone. Thanksgiving Day has come and gone. And for at least one day, we were mindful, weren't we? We were really mindful, more so than we usually are, of the essence or how essential gratitude really is. And may I say this, as I've already said this probably in previous visits, if there is any point in what I'm sharing that there is conviction that that begins to hover over you like a cloud. That's not my intention, because I, you know, I've I've learned a long time ago that you teach best what you need to learn the most. So I'm with you in all of this experience, but it's come and gone, and so we we're mindful of it for a while. But I think you probably would agree that we usually become mindless. In the next next few days, until once again we're reminded to be thankful. Like me, you probably raised your children, and uh, because they didn't show up here with um, this whole spirit of gratitude, so you raised your children when somebody did something for them. You said this. What do you say? I mean, how many times have you said that? Those of you with young children, what do you say? Expecting them to say, thank you. But I really believe now more than ever before, and you'll understand why I say that in the next few minutes, that God intended for Thanksgiving to be more than just a day in our lives, but the way that we live our lives. Not just a day, but the way that we live our lives. And again, I don't want to sound like I'm just trying to be clever with another cliche, but it should be more about thanks living, the way that we live. There's something profound. This is something I read this past week from Miroslav Volf, who is uh, just an amazing theologian. He said, there's something profoundly out of place between the gratitude of Thanksgiving Thursday and Black Friday's mad rush to acquire. Black Friday seems to have been designed to ensure our sense of gratitude that it doesn't spill over from Thanksgiving Day into our ordinary lives. So on Thursday, we all gave thanks to God for abundance. And on Friday, we make a mad rush to acquire things in a hysteria of scarcity. And if you are one of those people, there is therefore no condemnation to all of you Black Friday people. But the psalmist would say in Psalm 92, he'd say, It is good to thank you, Lord, to sing praises to your name, who is above all gods, every morning. And this requires an intentionality, doesn't it? It requires more intentionality than we realize. And every evening, rejoice in all your faithfulness. Be grateful. We should be grateful, shouldn't we, for the things that uh, we have and the people in our lives. Because many of the things that we take for granted, other people have been praying for for a long time. That was a very sobering thought to me this past week. As I began to look around the room with my family gathered, and I realized that it's very easy for me to take this for granted. And so many other people are praying earnestly for what is just there right in front of me. In many ways, the things that are somewhat hidden in plain sight. Now, it may come as a surprise to you, especially based on what many of us have been taught to believe that God doesn't really demand gratitude. And you were probably thinking, well, it would appear that way, especially when I read through the Psalms, that he does demand gratitude from us. Well, he doesn't demand gratitude from us because he feels unappreciated. Because he's used to feeling unappreciated. Every time you feel a sense of not being appreciated, just remember how God may view us. But he doesn't do it in an obligatory sense. He requires us, or I should say, request of us this spirit of gratitude to keep us focused on his magnanimous generosity toward us so that it might flow through us to other people. Are you with me so far? I think that's really the whole point of it all, so what happens with many of us is that we confuse very easily we confuse gratitude with indebtedness. Uh, I mean, often we hear it in our lyrics don 't we and and I understand that this it 's very humbling for us to be on the receiving end, but God does not, he's not emotionally insecure and wondering if he's appreciated. He wants to change your psyche. He wants to help you to understand the benefits of gratitude, which really requires us being nice to everybody, not just the benefactor itself. So that really puts a totally different uh, perspective on what gratitude looks like. So in Psalm 103... Um, I'm going to read uh, about seven verses, well, seven verses to be exact. It's a psalm of David, and I don't want to sound like I'm being dramatic, but quite often I think we miss the connotation of a particular text because we don't read it with the exuberance in which it came through the writer himself. This may seem like a trivial Uh, thing to remind you of, but I found it really, really helpful to read these Psalms aloud, not just in my head. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? To read them aloud so I can hear my own voice, so I can feel the resonation of whatever the revelation is in the text. If you've never done that before, because we typically don't, we read silently rather than aloud. Uh, actually, in the old world, in, in the Old Testament culture, uh, it would be a foreign concept to suggest that you read something silently. It actually would be a reference to irreverence for you to take God's word and just read it inwardly. Now, I, I know the value of meditation because meditation suggests that this is something that is contemplative in nature, something that we do internally. But would you agree with me that there is something powerful when you hear your own voice giving voice to the words of God? Are you still there? I mean, I I think that there is really something of great value that we have missed. So I'm not going to try to you know, add drama uh, to the intonation of this, but I, I want to read it in the way that I think that it's worthy of b- being read. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. I hadn't planned on doing this, but I think it would be good for us to do that together. Can we do that together? And maybe what you ought to do as, as we begin, oh, it's good. It's up there. Maybe what you ought to do as we begin to read those, that first verse together is you might find it a bit awkward, but look at somebody next to you and repeat these words. You know, there's power in understanding that the glory of God in the Old Testament tabernacle was revealed between the faces of these cherubim. Remember the cherubim that were there on the mercy seat on the ark where the manifest presence of God was? Are you still with me? Do do you remember that? And the scripture clearly says that the glory of God was revealed between the faces faces of the cherubim and most of the time when we come to church on sunday morning we're singing to the back of somebody's head and i know that it's awkward for us to look at one another and do these things but even in isaiah's vision you may may remember in isaiah chapter six the 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 seraphims this is a different type of heavenly creature when he saw the earth filled with his glory these seraphims were crying one to another He's holy. He's holy. And that's what caused the presence of God to be so pervasive in Isaiah chapter 6. So, with all that said, let's say it together. Oh, bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. You're not looking at anybody. I, I knew that might fall flat. It was risky, but I did it anyway. Try it again. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Let's try the next verse. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul and forget not all his benefits. Let's stop there. Now, it appears from what what I've been able to gather that... The writing of this particular psalm happened later in David's life. He's a much older man now. He knows a thing or two because he's seen a thing or two. To borrow a very popular catchphrase today in advertising. He would later on in another place say, I've been both young and old, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed Begging for bread. I do think it's possible though. That this man. He's not as driven as he once was. The memory of his many legendary victories. That you are all too familiar with. From Goliath. To the defeating of thousands, tens of thousands of Philistines. Has probably begun to fade. In his memory. I wonder if when he is speaking to himself, and we're going to talk about this in a moment, if he's speaking to himself, and there's great value in speaking to yourself, Paul would say that in Ephesians, that we should speak to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and make melody in our hearts unto the Lord. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but self-talk, I believe now, is more important than it has ever been not just because of the talking heads that are constantly throwing us off balance and causing us to lose our equilibrium, but maybe the memory of all these legendary victories were possibly beginning to fade from the defeat of Goliath and the thousands of conquests that he experienced. They're probably becoming somewhat surreal. He probably he could have been wondering, Did that really happen? Did that happen to me? Did it happen through me? Can you relate? Does that resonate with you as you begin to reflect on all that God has done in the trail of both tragedies and victories? And you're trying somehow to recapture the emotion, the rush that you had years ago? I mean... It's heard, isn't it, in another psalm that says, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And um again, it is not so much that he's had a lapse of memory, but he's trying to recapture the poignancy of the moment. And I think that's that's what is really needed. For us to experience genuine gratitude, if not, it does become just another platitude, doesn't it? It becomes something trite and stale and hollow in meaning. One of the many things I've always loved about David is that he, like all of us, is a bundle of contradictions. Maybe that's why we spend so much time in his literature I mean, he, this, this man, he's a warrior, he's a poet, he's a lyricist. He's both tender and he's violent as well. He's all of those things. He had a heart after God, but he had a propensity for lust. What a contradiction he was. He had moments when his faith was certainly exemplary, and then he had moments when he seemed almost bipolar, expressing his distrust for God. And, uh, you all, I'm sure, are very much aware that the Psalms, we call them Psalms, but this is just a synonym for songs. But in many ways, I think that this is representative of the journaling of David. Uh, maybe that's how he maintained his, sa- his sanity b- between the peaks and the valleys, between the, you know, the, the, the lows and the real highs. So, what I just had you to read, in my estimation, is David ruminating. He is reflecting. He's intently trying to understand not only God, but he's trying to understand himself. We do need, as I've already said, and this is, this is where I want to unpack this a little more, we do need to understand the importance of our self-talk because your mind and your body hears everything that it says and it believes it. Whose voice do you hear the most? Certainly not the voice of God or the accuser or the voices around you, but the voice that you hear the most is your own. And I think that's what he's doing when he says, <clears throat> Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. hes It's almost as if he is, you know, remember, here's another verse that just drifts across my mind. When he would say, spring up, oh well. Remember that one? Spring up, oh well, within my soul. Spring up. We used to sing that years ago in the early days of the charismatic. uh, I started to say, re-movement. Anybody remember that old song? Spring up, O oh well, within my soul. Spring up, O oh well, and overflow. I think this is the way that we begin to understand what gratitude really looks like and how it becomes a way of living instead of just a singular act from time to time. You do believe what you say more than you believe the most powerful or positive person around you. And what you say to yourself is on a constant playlist that is on a loop. This is not, you know, some sort of um, self-help kind of language. Really, you find it on the pages of Scripture. It's the way that God intended for us to, to process thoughts. And there's something interesting about thoughts you know, your thoughts are really happening. Of course. Well, let me get back here uh, before I get to thoughts. Our feelings, which affects our ability to live in gratitude, can become so real sometimes that we confuse our feelings with reality. You know what I mean by that? You confuse what you feel with reality. Oh, yeah, it's real to you. Feelings. May be, be very real, but that doesn't mean they are real. What comes first? <clears throat> your feelings or your thoughts? Don't jump out there and answer that too quick. Sometimes they come simultaneously, they converge, but more often than not, your feelings are always. A reflection of your thought. It's kind of like a map. It's not the territory or the geography of a particular place, but our thoughts are that reality. To live in gratitude, I think we ask, we have to regularly, I use this word already, intentionality. We have to regularly ask ourselves, why am I believing what I'm believing right now? Why am I believing that? Is it true? Is it possible that it's real, but not true? I could I can send you home on that one right there. I know it's profoundly simple, but to me it's simply profound, especially as it relates to navigating, navigating our way forward in in a atmosphere of such negativity. Is it possible that it's real but not true? And then the other one, which you're familiar with, is what would my life be like without that particular belief? How is that belief affecting my equilibrium? Now, I already told you that this is not me pointing a finger at you, but just being vulnerable with you. And admitting to you, I catch myself complaining far more than... um, I would like to admit about what's going on in the world. And please don't look at me in that tone of voice this morning. It's making me feel insecure. I do. Uh, It seems that complaining is totally harmless. Especially since most everybody else is on the same bandwagon of grumbling about our curtailing circumstances right now. Well, everybody else seems to be on that frequency. Everybody else seems to be on that wavelength. But complaining without question is is a very, it is a misuse of energy. Because complaining never ever really changes anything, especially in terms of the trajectory of our lives. I read recently uh, this study that says that engaging in complaining or simply hearing someone complain for more than 30 minutes can physically damage your brain. Does that sound far-fetched? Should I say that again? Complaining or listening to somebody complain for up to 30 minutes can physically damage your brain. Repeated complaining results And cortisol being released in higher levels, putting us at risk of developing heart disease and strokes. To take it even further, as I was reading this past week, complaining actually reduces, and this you'll see how it's relevant to this particular psalm, it actually reduces the size of your hippocampus, which is where memories are stored. Now, this is not speculation. This, this is proven data. And then we wonder why we have difficulty remembering the moments in which God was there. When God showed up and did what only God could do. Now, I think that's why, I think that's why David said, forget not. Now, years ago when I first read this psalm, when he uses the word forget, I thought of it in a Western context because when we use the word forget, we think in terms of a lapse of memory, a total lapse of memory. Unfortunately, probably some of you like me have um, elderly loved ones in your life, and they cannot retrieve the names of the people they've known all their lives. There's something that has happened that is so damaging in their hippocampus where they they just can't remember. They can't remember a, a spouse that they've been married to for 50 years. They can't remember their own children, not just their names. They don't even know who they are. It's a tragic thing, isn't it? A tragic disease. But the use of the word forget here is not that kind of lapse of memory. It's not that at all. When David uses the word forget not all of his benefits, he's not talking about the inability to remember that it happened. But the loss of the passion that came in the moment of that experience. Does that make sense to you? There's a big difference in a total lapse of memory. Because there are some things that God has done in my life that are so indelibly imprinted on my mind that I haven't forgot it, but it's lost its luster. This this has everything in the world to do, in my opinion, with living in an attitude of gratitude. That's why, uh, let's read on down. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Uh, but he says, forget not all of your benefits, who forgives all of your iniquities, who heals all of your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with, with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Remember, David's talking to himself. Then he goes on and he says, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. That one would be a really good one right now. For us to spend time on, especially with all the injustices that seem to be totally out of control. Everywhere you look, there's injustice. Socially, politically, financially, there's so much injustice. And it's incensing to us, isn't it? When we watch the gap widening and widening and widening between the haves and the have-nots. And how that we look at what we have compared to what we think we need. And ingratitude sets in, right? Am I talking to the same people that fill their tank up this week? Am I talking to the same people that are having to take a second mortgage out on their house just to fill up their tank? (laughs) I said that for some levity. It went over like a lead balloon. Uh, You do know what I'm talking about, right? The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. And this is, this, this I find interesting. How does it fit in the context of what David was talking about? Because see, he is reminiscing. He's reflecting on his own life, the trail of tragedies and triumphs. I mean, he had murder in his family. He had rape in his family. <coughs> Not only did he have those extremely low points, but he had to look back on Goliath and the slaughter of tens of thousands of Philistines and the list goes on and on and on. This man was a legend. So why on earth would he he say, and he made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the children of Israel? What does that have anything to do with his life? I believe that when we read about these things, That are recorded for us in the Old Testament. These powerful moments where God invaded a situation. Where he brought turnaround. Where he waited for things to become completely impossible and irreversible. And we read about it in the life of Israel. I mean, think about it. If you go back to the book of Exodus, for example, when the children of Israel had been brought out miraculously by the blood of the Lamb, they're three days into the journey. They cross the Jordan River with Pharaoh and his henchmen hot on their trails. They watch when they get on the other side the, the congealed waters of the Red Sea, the walls of, I mean, think about it. How can you forget that? How can you forget that moment? <clears throat> when two and a half, three million people are walking through on dry ground with massive walls of water on either side of them, the Red Sea, and they can hear the hoofbeats the hoof of Pharaoh's chariots, they get on the other side and they watch the waters collapse on them and drown them. How could you forget that? It wasn't that they forgot it. Because it will be written about by other authors throughout the Old Testament following that. It wasn't they forgot it. How could you forget? How could you possibly forget? Waking up in the morning. And opening the flap on your tent. And the ground is covered with this supernatural substance called manna that will feed you and your family every day for 40 years. How could you forget? How could you forget looking at your, at your teenage son that seems like he goes to bed one night and he gets up the next morning and he's grown four inches, yet his clothes still fit? How could you forget? I mean, I, I remember those days with, with our three boys. It seemed like, you know, I'd buy them, you know, clothes or tennis shoes, and it seemed like in three months they're needing it again. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But, in, you know, in this instance, he says he made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the children of Israel, but it still had faded from memory. Somehow it had lost its poignancy. It lost its power. What I'm trying to do with you here this morning in some way is to provoke that in you and cause you to realize that gratitude living, living with thanks living has to do with doing what David is doing in this heartfelt exercise and recapturing the moment. Do you remember what it was like? Do you remember what you felt in the moment? When there was an unmistakable financial miracle. Do you remember? Sometimes the months and the years go by. And yeah, you remember it. But can you recapture what you felt? That's what David is doing. I mean, I think about that this morning. And over four decades... My wife and I have walked by faith. And now, in fact, I told her just this past year when we were, uh, you know, approaching 2022, I told her, I said, you know how we're going to make our way forward? Because we were facing some particular challenges. I said, you know how we're going to make our way forward? And she said, how? I said, we're going to remember our way forward. She said, what do you mean? I said, sweetheart, I said, we're going to, with great intention, we're going to go back over the last four decades, the minuscule, the small, the insignificant, the little things, the things that were just off the charts. We're going to rehearse those in our minds. And know that that kind of gratitude is what is going to give us the ability to navigate through the uncertainty and the unprecedented. And I wish somebody would help me here this morning. I think that's what David is after. I mean, you know, we we should never underestimate the power of your testimony. I mean, it is... It's a powerful thing to hear what God has done for other people. But what about yours? What about yours? This must be what David is echoing. This must be what he is hes really trying to awaken in us. Which gives this whole word forget a totally different name or different meaning. Again, it's not that it just totally... You know, it's kind of like this. And, you know, the younger people here won't relate to it as much. But we have a box like most of you do in our house. Some of them have made it into albums. We have a box, though, with pictures. And it's proof that we were there. Unquestionably, I was there. My wife was there. And then we look back... Even at our parents, and you know, back before color, when things were black and white, and the pictures have been handled so much, and they faded over time because of the primitive process of photos. And you you look at it, and and yeah, it happened. But it's lost its vitality. I think this is what David is going for. I think that's what he's speaking to us. He was unaware of it, but he was speaking to us. Millennials later. Forget not all of his benefits. And not just the ones that have happened in your life, but when you go back and you read about the crossing of the Red Sea, or you, 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 you go back and you read about how that, you know, tomorrow morning when you get up, And you're going out in an economy that is imploding and getting worse by the day. And you step out of your door. Let your imagination be used for something positive. Look out on your lawn and realize that there were a people centuries ago that would open the flap of their tent and their breakfast, lunch, and dinner had already distilled in the early morning hours, it was there. You say, well, no, that happened to them. That happened back then. No, that's not what God intended it for me. Some, some story that is intriguing to us. That's not what he intended. He intended for us to enter into that experience. Guys, I think this is what causes us to live with an attitude of gratitude. These are, you know, otherwise it's just nothing but fairy tale. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting that God did that for them. It may be a misapplication and taking out of context, but it fits right here for me. God's not a respecter of persons. He never has been. And the reason why all of these great exploits, all these great experiences were captured and that they survived through the annals of time and we're committed to parchment and have made its way into this volume that we call the Bible is as a reminder to us that he is, as you said earlier, Hebrews thirteen eight. he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Is that too simple? I mean, I think that's what we need more than ever before, because we live such complex lives. And some of us in this room are more guilty than complicating things than others. Forget not all of his benefits. Look at it again. I'm coming in for a close here. He said, who forgives all of your iniquity. I mean, that's iniquity. That word has a tone to it that causes uh, meager sin to seem uh, mild, iniquity. But I think we miss the meaning of the word iniquity because the word iniquity is not just the most egregious form of behavior, but the word iniquity in its root meaning means twisted or bent. That's what it means. That's why I was encouraging you earlier to think about the way you think and understanding that your feelings follow that. I mean, the narrative, the dominant narrative of today is so twisted, isn't it? I mean, the word convoluted doesn't even seem to be adequate to explain the dominant narrative, that the drumbeat of the present culture. But he says to us that... He forgives all of our iniquity, and you know this occurred to me this past week. Um, I thought, man, this would be a title for a great book, or if I could incorporate it some way. And it just came to me, and it was it was really helpful to me, given the enculturation that I came up in the legalism and the the performance Christianity, the graceless Christianity. That I was accustomed to growing up. And I heard this. It wasn't audible, but I heard it deep within. It was just as significant as if I had heard this stated audibly in my room. Stop repenting for your lack of love for God and start repenting for your inability to accept His love for you. He is the initiator your responsibility is only to reciprocate i mean that that will cause your gratitude meter to go up on it when you realize that he is not moved anymore or any more sympathetic towards you as you are groveling and repenting for not loving him as you should but what he wants you to do is to repent or to change your mind For not accepting his love for you. Big difference isn't there. He heals all of our diseases. And I know. Because uh, I'm talking to people. That are well informed. That you are probably full aware. That most of the diseases today. And they seem to be proliferating. And they're, they're even having to. Uh, create new names, right? Isn't it interesting in the culture that we're living in that they're already beginning to caution us about some new strain? Something else is developing. You, you probably, maybe you or you know somebody in this room or, you know, in your family that they're having difficulty diagnosing I mean, they're they're looking at the symptoms. They're looking at the pathology. They're trying to determine what it is. I know what that's like. And they go through a battery of tests, and they're throwing everything they have at it. And it's, it's still not creating any resolution. But most of the diseases or the lack of ease, pardon the pun, you've heard it before, the lack of ease is what causes. See, these things are mere symptoms, aren't they? Of something that is deeper. Most people I hear about today, you know, talking, they say, I just wish I could find some peace of mind. And I respond by telling them, If you find peace, I promise you, it will not be in your mind. If you ever experience peace, I promise you, you will not find it in your mind. It's not there. It redeems your life from a pit. We could pause there for quite a long time and talk about, in Scripture, the various pits. Probably the one that you're most familiar with is Joseph. Some of you probably felt like this past Thursday that you were in a pit. You know the conspiracy. You know what he went through. A pit was dug not in order to try to find water. It was not in an attempt to find a well, to create a well. But a pit was designed for the express purpose of putting someone in it with steep, slick walls to it where they could not capture. They couldn't claw their way out. His ability to redeem us from some of the things that we have dug ourselves into. The debt that you've dug yourself into, the depression that you've dug yourself into, the many different ways that pits are dug. We do it to ourselves and we have it done to us by other people. Gratitude, though, says he is able, right, to redeem your life from the pit. And he said he crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. I'm almost finished. He crowns you. And if David knew anything about crowns, he did. If anybody did, he did. Because it was not too far in the distant past. Then he had gone through his own coronation. The northern and southern kingdom had been united. They had this opulent coronation. They bring him and they place the diadem on his head but he's not just talking about the weight of that crown that was given to him by men he was talking about a different crown i I'm convinced that many of us we live most of our lives wearing a crown of thorns and this you know this was not just some random act of brutality when Jesus and all of the horrific things that was done to him it was not just some random act of brutality that after bludgeoning him almost to death to the point he's unrecognizable that we'll just add insult to injury and we'll plait a crown of thorns like hypodermic needles that are pressed into his skull. But I think in many ways that is reflective of how we ourselves have things that penetrate our thoughts so deep that cause us to forget that it is God who wants to crown us with his steadfast love i mean what kind of crown of thorns right now is penetrating your thoughts maybe david was speaking in some ways to that and then he would say that he renews our youth like the eagles what a what a wonderful imagery what a great metaphor What does he mean by renewing our youth like the eagles? This is particularly relevant for me right now. In the second half of life. Is to believe that he can renew my strength like an eagle. This most majestic of all birds. David had seen them. The golden eagle in particular. He'd seen this this majestic bird whose wingspan could be up to 12 feet across watch them fly effortlessly but see what is he talking about he said when he renews your strength like an eagle i won't assume anything but there's something that is life-threatening that an eagle goes through in the process of its life no matter i mean he really is at the top of the food chain he has no natural predators he lives above it all right But there is something that is inevitable in every eagle's life, which is a molting process. It happens with all of them, no matter how majestic or mighty they are, where they lose all their feathers. If you're not familiar with that, let me describe it in in short. The molting process, which is something that happens to the eagle, not as a result of something that has done or not done, but it is just part of the process Of renewed strength. It loses all of its feathers. So you can imagine how vulnerable an eagle is having lost all of its feathers. Their razor-sharp beak that has the ability, you know, to cut open its prey like a scalpel crust over. The only thing That is helpful, and and I know this from reading from many years ago, that helps them to get through the process is that other eagles who have gone through that same molting process will fly above them, calling out to them, empathizing with them, helping them to understand that what they're going through, they've been through. The renewing of their strength, that's what he's talking about. Maybe there's people here this morning, you're having difficulty being thankful or living in an attitude of gratitude simply because you're molting right now. And that's okay. That's all right. David echoes down through the years and says to us that he will renew our strength like the eagles. Amen. I'm encouraging myself if I haven't helped any of you so far. I'm glad I came to talk to you because this has been my self-talk for today. Go ahead and stand with me. I, uh, I trust that somehow this has given you a degree of perspective. I want to walk in gratitude. I I really want to somehow capture the pathos of the Apostle Paul. And I use that word intentionally, the pathos of the Apostle Paul, whenever he says in First Thessalonians, I'm sure that this scripture has come across your radar here this month. In everything, give thanks. I mean, if you look at the backdrop of this man's life, That was not some feeble, weak statement. When you look at the unspeakable atrocities that he experienced, and he said, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. The shipwreck, the stoning, a back that looked like a road map from being beaten time and time again, the disfigurement of his own body, I mean, think of it. Think of what this man must have looked like having endured all this physical abuse, not to mention the emotional and spiritual abuse. I find great encouragement when I hear somebody like that say, In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Or I hear him say, Rejoice. And again, I say, Rejoice. Guys, I, you don't have control over what's happening with the economy. You don't have control over what's happening with your family. You don't have control over, you know, what is going on right now relationally that is so troubling to you, the estranged relationships that you're going, but you do have control over one thing. And that is your ability to adjust your attitude and say, I will not allow that to take me hostage. I'll close with this. In uh, And this, this became very pertinent to me recently because uh, I just feel like that so many people that I talk to these days uh, are experiencing a, a vertigo of some kind. How many of you ever experienced physical vertigo? Anybody? It's pretty unsettling, isn't it? I mean... It usually doesn't hit you until you stand up t- to make a move. I- I've-, I've had the experience. It's, it's very, ins- it's frightening. And you can't find balance. But vertigo is also a, a term that is used to describe something that is life threatening to pilots. And that- that's the reason why I chose the word attitude, because when we think of attitude, we think about our emotional disposition. <clears throat> but if you've ever been in a cockpit of a plane, I've been many times, and I, every time I step on a plane, if the if the cockpit door is open, I immediately look at instrumentation in the cockpit and I want to find the attitude meter. Because they're not an altitude, but an attitude meter, because if you've ever seen it, it's just a little on the dial, it's a little small plane. And it's used to be on a gyroscope. You got any pilots in here? And it shows, the reason why it's so important in the instrumentation is it shows the orientation of the plane. Well, you see, we, that, you think that would be obvious. Oh, no, no. In extreme weather conditions, a pilot can experience vertigo, and he doesn't know whether he's flying up or down. I mean, that's bizarre, isn't it? That's, that's hard to imagine, but he doesn't know whether he's flying up or down. He doesn't know whether he's upside down or right side up. That's why that instrumentation is so critical. And I think that's, that has everything in the world to do with us keeping our equilibrium and not finding ourselves in the vertigo of the age. If he looks at that instead of trusting his feelings, then he can navigate his way forward. So in this particular story, it was some of you probably remember, In July of 1999, remember JFK Jr.? Remember what happened to him? He and his wife, Caroline, and his sister-in-law, they were flying in a small plane en route to Martha's Vineyard. They were going there for a wedding. And he was flying at night with no visibility whatsoever. And the investigators later believed that Kennedy had an attack of what's called, with pilots, black hole vertigo. It's when your senses are saying one thing and your instruments are saying another. And a pilot in the grip of vertigo cannot tell the difference between banking and flying level or between up and down. And being an inexperienced pilot, Kennedy became confused as his instruments read one thing, but his feelings were screaming another. Around 9.30 that evening, in a nosedive, 4,700 feet per minute, he's heading into what is known as a graveyard spiral. Wow, when I read that, I thought, oh, my gosh, how many times have I been in that kind of spiral? There might be people here this morning that are in somewhat of a similar spiral. I mean, what, what am I going to do? <laughs> I know what I need or what I think I need what am I going to do? As ridiculous as it may sound to you, as absurd to the rational, logical mind, be grateful for what you got. Just be grateful for what you got. To add that disorientation, he didn't know which way he was flying and he just flew into the ocean surface. Oh, I just think there's a lot of unnecessary shipwreck of faith that goes on these days because people don't understand the value of living in gratitude. Oh, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. And all, I mean, you got to summon it from somewhere deep where it's been buried and all that is within me. Forget not all of his benefits. Take me back. Take me back. To those moments, Lord, where you showed up, as they say, and you showed out. Let me pray for you. I hope you got something out of this this morning. You can come out of that spiral. You can, uh, you, I really do believe that you can come out of that spiral that some of you are in emotionally, financially. No matter where you're at this morning, Lord, I pray for your precious sons and daughters, the old and the young and everywhere in between. I just ask, Lord, that you would show us again the power of thanksgiving on the night that you were betrayed. You gave thanks. Some of you right now have been betrayed severely. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gave thanks. (laughs) God, to say that you are good seems so hollow because you're far more good than we could ever imagine. So we give thanks this morning. We lift our hands. Can you do that? We just lift our hands all over this room. And as the, as the scripture encourages us, we lift our hands and our hearts unto you this morning. We give thanks. I thank you for every criticism. I thank you for every rejection. Not just the usual suspects. I thank you for everything that I failed at because it revealed to me that you didn't want me to succeed at it. I thank you for every failure because it was nothing more than feedback. I thank you for it all. I thank you for every offense. I thank you for every problem that you decided not to let Be easily resolved because you didn't want it to be resolved. You didn't want me just to get over it and get through it. You wanted me to outgrow it. I thank you for it. I thank you. One more time, we lift our hands to you, Lord. And, Lord, we end our time together this morning as we opened it in the encouragement of the psalmist. Clap your hands all You people, shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Like Jehoshaphat, they began to sing and praise before the victory was manifest. So we do that right now. One more time, Lord. We give thanks. We clap our hands. We shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Hallelujah. Amen